right, I want to welcome you back to this series we've been doing called Killer Questions. And uh, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at different questions that the Bible raises that I think are just really great questions uh, for us to process together. Uh, today, I want to look at one that's found in Mark chapter 8. So if you want to take your sermon outline out, you can pop that out. For those of you who like to track along and take notes, you can do that. We'll throw everything up on the screen for you, and uh, you, can, you can track with us. By the way, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. Uh, we'll throw all the scriptures up on the screen, but if you want to look them up in the Bible, there are Bibles in front of you on the pews, and those are our gift to you. If you would like a Bible to take home, if you know someone who needs a Bible, and you'd like to take that to them, you are more than welcome to do that. We want to make sure that everybody has access to the Word of God. I want you to look with me at Mark 8 at a, at a fairly penetrating question that Jesus himself raises. Um, here's what it says. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now read this last part out loud with me, would you? And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That last line, one more time. Is anything worth more than your soul? Have you thought about that question lately? Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe in some subtle ways you and I do sell a bit of our souls? Uh, some of you may, may remember this uh, in the news from several years back. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. That guy's name is Blaine Brown. Uh, he's from Great Britain. And uh, in January of 2006, Blaine had this great idea. He decided he was going to sell his soul on eBay. And so he took out an advertisement on, on eBay uh, offering the bid. And if you know how eBay works, you have a, a period of time where you have a chance to bid online for him. He started the price of his soul out at a whopping $15. I guess he didn't really think his soul was, was worth all of that much. But he put it on there and put it on there and he had a, had a nice description of it. It said, uh, according to the, the sale of this, this soul will come along with, if you buy his soul, he'll give you a signed certificate with a license of authenticity and purchase. Uh, it says it also gives you the permission to contact him in the offer afterlife as long as you're not harassing him. You can, you can do that. So the listing went on to say the ownership of his soul will expire after a 1,000 years of the date of purchase. But it may be sold or passed on from person to person until this period is up. Now, his ad was up for a while, and then eBay looked at it and went, nah, we're not going to allow this. And so they actually ended up squelching it, saying uh, eBay is taking a stance. You can't sell any part of yourself, whether it's soul or body parts. You can't sell any of that on eBay. And uh, so don't get any bright ideas. He didn't, he didn't get anything for it. It didn't, it didn't work out. And I remembered that when I was working on this message. And I thought, you know, it's such a stupid thing. I mean, you know, none of us say, well, you know, nobody's going to buy my soul. No. But we do sometimes sell our souls. I think in ways that we don't always even think about. Can we just talk about that for a little bit today? 
I started kind of thinking about what are, what are some of the, maybe the subtle ways that we, we do sell a bit of, a bit of ourselves. And I, I thought of a few. Let me, let me give them to you. Four, four different ways that I've got that we sell our souls. I'm sure there are more. You can come up with your own. But let me, give you, let me give you four. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. Whenever we allow earthly things to consume us. Whenever we allow earthly things to consume us. Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in our hearts. In other words, we were created to live forever. And yet, being born in this physical world, it's easy for us to get consumed with stuff around us. Now, come on, it's just us. It's Sunday morning, great place in church to confess. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that along the way in your own life, there have been things that have consumed you or things that you have been obsessed by even more than God? Come on, yeah, we do sometimes. And sometimes we're not even realizing what has happened. You know, when I was young, um, when I started playing basketball when I was in seventh grade, and man, from the day I started, I picked up a basketball, I was like, this is my life. And uh, people who knew me growing up would, would say, if you ever saw Steve, he always had a basketball in his hand. And I, I would, you know, go down the street, dribbling between my legs, spinning the ball on my finger. I would be out, you know, for hours and hours. And I became obsessed. I, I wanted to be the, not just the best basketball player I could be. I wanted to be better than everybody else. And for a period of, of time in my life, it consumed me. Now, there was a period in my time in my life, I had, I had a girl who consumed me. Anybody ever have a relationship consume you before? And, and that relationship became my God, you know, and that, that's all I could think about. And that was all, all my life was about. Along the way, life throws a lot of those things at us, whether they're recreational things. For some of us, it was our job, our career. You know, we get into finding a job and a career and, and we start going up the ladder and we get consumed. How high can we go? What, you know, what, what can we do? Uh, sometimes it's money. Jesus talked a lot about this um, when in his own ministry. In fact, Luke chapter 18, if you remember the story, uh, there's a guy who came to Jesus and said, Lord, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. You know, he gives him six of them. Don't, you know, don't steal, don't kill, don't, you know, don't lie, do all that kind of stuff. And the guy got all excited. He goes, I've done, I've done all all of that. And then Jesus looked at him. I want you to look at what Jesus said. He said, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Read it with me out loud. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. What Jesus knew was this guy, he, he, he wanted to know that he was going to be okay in the afterlife. He wanted to know that he was going to be okay with God, but he didn't want to give up his obsession with money. He didn't want to give up. He didn't want to come to that place. And here's what Jesus knew that, that we all have to come to. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Read it out loud with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at me. Don't miss this. Whatever is consuming you, that has your heart. Whatever is consuming you, that's got your soul. And you're selling your soul to that, whether you know it or not. It's been interesting to me. I'm, I'm old enough now to, to kind of look back 
uh, through my own generations and the generations before and see how different things, how along the way. For, for, for some, it was, it was career. Uh, there were times when, when sports, and for some of us, it was, you know, sports figures became and all this kind of thing. What's been interesting in the last uh, 20 years is to watch the obsession with the internet take over. And how after, as YouTube developed and all this kind of stuff, now everybody can have their 15 minutes of fame and everybody's kind of fighting for airtime. And, and, and it becomes an obsession that, you know, I want to I, I see how many likes I can get on my post. I want to see how many followers I can get on Instagram. And, and we, we, we just get consumed with that stuff without, without the realization that, you know what, I'm selling a piece of what my life's all about for this. Really sad story. Um, I shared this with the youth last year. On, one, on a Wednesday night when Will had asked me to speak about friendship, I had just read an article about a kid named Nate Garner. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's Nate, good-looking kid, basketball player. And uh, Nate uh, started a, a vlog um, a while back, and he, he started doing some of this, this vlogging where he's doing this video blog stuff, and it just kind of caught fire. And he began to get followers after followers, and, and his, 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 his uh, notoriety grew. And, um, and what happened was, man, he, he, he just kind of went through the roof. And he had like over 2 million followers on Instagram that were tracking him. He had over a half million people on YouTube that were tracking him. And, um, and the title of the article was, 2 million followers and not one single friend. And as this New York, New York Times uh, reporter was interviewing him, Nate shared that the more his fame spread, the lonelier he felt. He said, you know, people that used to be friends in my life didn't want to be friends anymore because I was, you know, had all these followers and they, they, they got jealous of that. He said, I'd be walking down the halls at school and he said, and, and kids would uh, he said, I'd have guys come up and try to pick a fight for no reason at all. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Then I realized there was another guy with a phone who was videoing it. Some guy wanted to show that he beat up Nick Garner. He, he wanted to go on the internet and be famous and all, all this kind of stuff. And he said, he, said he, he, he just became more and more isolated and alone. And I thought, wow, isn't that the way of the world? Two million followers and not one single Friend, look at me. Hear my heart with this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, you got to get this. This world offers you nothing of value. Nothing. Jesus said, what, what do you gain? What do you gain if you got a billion dollars, two million followers, or you become the most valuable player, whatever sport you're in, the most you know, famous athlete. What do, you, what do you gain if you get all of that and still lose your soul? Let me find interesting. Throw that picture up on the screen. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, Anthony Bourbain. He was world-class chef. Throw that next picture up on the screen. $25 for whoever knows that. Ernest Hemingway. Anybody ever read any Ernest Hemingway stuff? Yeah, yeah, one of the most famous authors that ever lived. Throw that next picture up on the screen. I know some of y'all know him. Who's that? Yeah, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. He was the lead singer and songwriter for Nirvana, kicked off the whole grunge movement. Throw that next picture up. I know you guys know him. Who's that? 
Now look at me. Some of the most famous, richest people in the world right there that I just showed you. What's the common denominator of all those, all those people? Yeah, every single one of them committed suicide. You see, you can have it all and still have nothing at all. Amen. Let me give you a second one. We sell our souls a bit when we're, when we're not living for the purposes for which God made us. When I was thinking about this, one of the, real, one of the realizations I had is that the Bible's real clear that, that God has plans and purposes for our lives. Now, here, here's my question to you. Have you discovered what your plan or purpose is? In fact, when I, when I was reading the text, one of the things that hit me was Jesus talks about taking up the cross what was Jesus' purpose on this earth? You may remember? It was to take up the cross. That was his purpose. That was why, that was why he came. Uh, in fact, he, John 6, uh, 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, read it with me, to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. That's why you remember Jesus when he was in the garden before the cross happened. He said, you know, God, if it, Father, if it's possible, you know, let this cup pass for me. Let this take it. But, but I want to do what you want me to do. And the, then his purpose that God is sending for was to pick up his cross. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, what he's saying is, take up your purpose for which God created you. The reason you are are here on earth. Forget what you're thinking about for a moment. Seek the heart of God. Find what God wants you to do. Pick up that and come follow me. Because here's the deal. If you don't find the purposes of God in your life, if you really don't lean into what God has for you, you're going to sell a bit of your soul along the way. And you're never going to find the level of satisfaction that you would have if you discover it. Um, I think of when when I saw Pat, Patsy today, I, I thought my mind flashed back to a, a convention, a youth convention in Kansas that I preached at a whole bunch of years ago, 30 or more, probably 35 years ago. And um, at the end of one of the nights when I was preaching, a young man by the name of Larry Taylor came, came to the altar. And uh, Larry was a, a rancher up in southwest Kansas. And when I came down to, to the front, there were several people praying. And, I, and as I sat down and knelt down to pray with Larry, I said, what can I do for you, Larry? And he was one of the counselors who was there. He, he said, Steve, he said, I, he said, I, you know, I, I, I have this ranch back in southwest Kansas. He said, I, he said but I feel like God is calling me to ministry. He said, I really feel like God wants to do something in my life. And I said, are you open to doing that? He said, yeah. So we prayed together. He dedicated himself to, to follow the call of God and, 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 to, and to become a pastor. And, and again, I didn't, I didn't know what would happen with that, whether he'd actually act on that. And what did Larry do? He went home, had an auction, sold off all of his farm equipment, you know, sold off all of this stuff, be, went, to, went to seminary, got, got his seminary degree, went into ministry, became a pastor, eventually became the state pastor for the state of Colorado for the Church of God, was a pastor, two pastors, just retired about a year, two years ago maybe, and, and stepped down now. And, and, and I, I look back on that when Larry announced his retirement, man, and I saw that on Facebook, I flashed back to that moment praying with him, thinking how different would Larry's life have been if he hadn't said yes to the call that God had on his life. Now, please, hear my heart with this. There's nothing wrong with being a rancher. We need good ranchers. I like the food that they produce, you know. 
We need good ranchers. But if God has a purpose in your life, even if you are a rancher, God may have something else he wants you to do. I was thinking last night when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a guy in my church, uh, in another church that I serve, who, who felt like God was laying something on his heart. Man, he had had a really rough past, but he felt like God wanted him to start a Bible study at a truck stop. And, uh, and he started doing this, and these truckers could relate to him. He was a big, burly guy. It looks like he could just crush you, you know, with one hand. And these truckers really tuned in, and he was able to share the gospel, and God used him. He never left his day job, but God had a purpose that he didn't know about. And when he discovered it, he found the fulfillment that he was looking for. All I want to say to you is this. I don't care who you are. I don't care how lack of talent you think you have. Here's what I know for sure. God has a purpose for your life. Find that purpose. Don't sell your soul by just doing your own thing. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a third one. We sell our soul whenever we compromise our beliefs, our commitments, or our values. We sell our souls whenever we compromise our beliefs, our commitments, or our values. I love what Paul said in Romans 12, 9. He said, love must be sincere. Read it with me, church. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let's read that last again. Cling to what is good. One more time. Cling to what is good. Now, why am I making you repeat that? Cling to what is good because here's what I can tell you. The world is going to constantly try to pry it out of your hands. It's going to try to constantly challenge you to take shortcuts, to, to, to take a shorter way, to take a different way, to, to seize an advantage, to do something you know you shouldn't do, something that violates your values, something that violates your morals, something that violates the commitments that you have, something that violates the kind of person you really want to be. And you're going to find that pull, and I'm going to keep telling you, cling to what is good. Why? Look at what James says in James 4.17. Read it with me. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Did you catch that? It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I, I know I shared this story uh, some time ago, but it, it's just a great illustration in my own life of how some of these kinds of things can play out. Years ago, when uh, my family was living in Pennsylvania, uh, I wanted to buy a van, and um, I contacted a friend of mine who lived here in Oklahoma City who was a used car wholesaler, and I said, hey, I want to buy a good used van. Um, I want to spend about 10 grand, and uh, can you kind of watch the auctions, find me something good for the money and, and all that? He said, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. He calls me, and he said, dude, I got a, I got a great deal for you. He said, I've got a, I got a really nice van. 10 grand, it's yours. And I said, cool. So I flew out here to Oklahoma City. I gave, wrote him a check for the money. And uh, we, I, I drove the van back to, uh, to Pennsylvania. A couple weeks after I got back, um, I realized I got to get car tags on this thing. And uh, tags are going to run out. And I'd seen a guy who had a car tag sign in his yard just a couple blocks from our house. So um, one day on my day off, I took Nate. My son, Nate was young at that time, and I took him with me, and uh, we drove a couple blocks away, and I walked up to the door at his house, and I knocked on the door, and I said, the guy comes to the door, and I said, hi, uh, I need to get some car tags for my van. He said, sure. Takes me around to the little office on the side. I gave him the paperwork. He's going through the paperwork, and as he gets down, he looks at the price, and he said, Mr. Shiles says you paid $10,000. I said, yeah. He said, did you pay sales tax? 
I went, I don't know. Does it say I paid sales tax? He said, no, it doesn't. It just has $10,000. I said, well, I just paid what my buddy bought it for. So, you know, I, I probably didn't. He said, well, if you paid sales tax, he said, I can deduct that amount. He said, Pennsylvania's taxes are higher, but I can deduct that amount if you paid it. And I said, if it's not there, I probably didn't pay it. You know, you, 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 you're going to have to charge me the money. And this guy smiles. and He sat back for a second. He said, you know, this just isn't right. He said, every time this van gets sold, somebody gets charged sales tax for it. He said, that's just a racket. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to put on your paperwork here that you paid $6,000 for this van. And I looked at him, and I didn't quite get what he was saying at first. And I said, well, I paid $10,000 for the van. He said, yeah, but you know what? If I put $10,000 down, you got to pay money on that. He goes, I'm just going to pay $6,000, put $6,000 down, and that way you only have to pay tax on $6,000. I caught on. And I said, ah. Oh. I said, well, you know what? I appreciate what you're saying, but I think I'd feel a little better if you just put down I paid $10,000. He said, Mr. Childs, you don't understand. He said, nobody sees this paperwork but you and me. He goes, nobody knows what you paid or didn't pay. If I put 10000 down, you're going to have to pay money on that. But I'm just going to put 6000 down. And I said, no, I think, I'd, I think I'd feel better if you just put down the right amount. He goes, Mr. Childs, you don't get it. He, he said, I was once a state representative. Suddenly, everything made sense to me. It became clear. <laughs> he goes, I, I know how this stuff works. And he said, he goes, it's just, it's, just, it's just a ridiculous thing. And he said, I'm trying to save you. He gets his calculator out. He, said, he goes, I'm trying to save you money. He goes, if I put down $10,000, you're going to have to pay $200 more than if I put down $6,000. And, and, and again, this is back in the day. $200 was a lot of money to us back then. And I looked at this guy and I said, sir, I, I know you're trying to save me money. And I thank you for that. But I think I would just feel better if you put down the right amount. And he shrugged. Okay. And he writes it down. And we're talking. He's filling out the paperwork. And he said, Mr. Charles, he said, so what do you do for a living? I laughed. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he looks up and he goes, oh, that's why you didn't want to cheat then, huh? And I said, well, actually, I would hope I wouldn't want to cheat even if I wasn't a pastor. But it does help keep me in line, yes, you know. And uh, he said, well, where are you a pastor at? And I said, well, I'm a pastor at Laurel Highlands Church of God right down the street. And this guy looks up and he goes, you're kidding. And I said, no, why? He said, I, when, he said when you came to my door, he said, I had just gotten home like five minutes before. And he said, I got the mail out. He goes, I'm standing in my living room going through the mail. He said, your church had sent me a flyer that was advertising this, next, this new sermon series you're going you're to be doing here starting in a couple weeks. He said, I'm standing in my living room reading this flyer thinking, how cool is it that a church in a neighborhood lets you know what they're talking about on a Sunday morning? He goes, and I was thinking, you know, my wife and I haven't been to church in a long time. We ought to get back to church someday. And he said, I'm reading that flyer when, when you knocked on my door. I can't believe that you're the pastor of that church. I wrote him a check, took Nate, got out to the car, fastened Nate in the seat, and I sat down behind the wheel, and I kid you not, I laid my head on the steering wheel, and I thanked God 
that for at least once in my life, I was obedient to his Holy Spirit. I wish I could tell you I've been obedient every time the Spirit has spoken, but I'd be lying to you. But I realized in that moment, had I given in to that guy, had I taken that shortcut, how I allowed that guy to lie on that bill of sale, I would have not only sold my personal integrity for $200, I would have sold the good name of our church for $200. It's not worth it. Amen. Let me give you one last one. I think we sell a bit of our souls whenever we give God less than our best. Whenever we give God less than our best. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture with me from Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Read it out loud. Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you were doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. Now, look at me. Hear my heart with this. Do you do that? Do you do the things that God has given you to do with all of your heart? What hit me this week as I was working on this message and I was thinking about us taking communion together, I was thinking about how how God has withheld nothing of himself from us, how he has given us his very life, and a God who has given us his all deserves all from us. I thought about, I wonder how many times when we're doing things for God, how many times we just do enough to get by rather than really giving God our best. And here's my challenge to you. I put this statement on your outline. Never give God something acceptable when it's within your power to give him something exceptional. God has given an exceptional gift to us he deserves an exceptional response from us. Amen. John Piper wrote a book um, called Don't Waste Your Life. In that book, he, he, he tells two stories. One story told was, about a, a couple that he had just read about in an article in Reader's Digest that was about people retiring early. And the story in Reader's Digest was telling how so many people in America are taking advantage of the great economy and retiring early. And the article was about a, a couple, Bob and Penny, who were able to retire in their 50s. And the article talked about how they bought a home down in Punta Gorda, Florida. And how they spent their days playing softball and riding on their boat and walking along the sea and collecting seashells. Then he told another story. And this was a story about two women who were in their 80s. One was Ruby Ellison. The other was Laura Edwards. One woman was a doctor. The other was a nurse. And 
they were well into their 80s, but yet they had spent a bulk of their life serving Jesus in Africa, working in hospitals that couldn't afford people like them who could give good medical care to kids. And we're talking about how now, well into their 80s, this couple, this, these two, two women were, were still serving, one who had been never been married, the other whose husband had died, and, and how they were doing this. And in May of the year 2000, these two women were in a car in Cameroon, and the brakes went out, and they, they went over a cliff. And both of these women died. And John Piper asked a question. That's a great question. He said, which one of these stories is a tragedy? Is it a tragedy to give your life to doing something good for God? Is it a tragedy to, to spend your, 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 your retirement years in, in Africa with kids? You might catch a disease from it. Is it a tragedy to give all of your life to that and end up going over a cliff and right into the arms of Jesus? Is that a tragedy? Or is it a tragedy one day to stand before God and God says, what did you do with this life that I gave you? And you open your bag and say, look at all of my seashells. John Piper said, don't waste your life. Christ gave his life so that we could live free from sin, a life of meaning, and a life of purpose. Jesus said, what do you profit if you gather every single seashell that exists on the ocean and lose your own soul? This morning, I don't know where you are on your journey of faith. For some of you, you you may know about God, but you really don't know God. And today may be maybe your first step of faith. And and for some of you, maybe you, you know what you need to do, and that is to simply confess before God your need for Him. The Bible says, when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, look at me. Today can be a brand new beginning for you. You can begin to live a new life right here and right now with Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. But for the rest of us, maybe who have taken that step, are you selling your soul? Are you selling a part of this which Christ died for? Are you being consumed by lesser things? Are are you shying away from the purposes that God has for your life? Are you compromising the things that you know to be right and good in little and subtle ways? And I know what you're saying, Pastor Stephen. It's, It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. There is no such thing as a little thing. Christ gave his all. He deserves our all. Amen. Rachel's going to lead us in a song. I I just love this whole chorus. It says, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. Nothing, nothing I desire is more than you. I, I want you to make this your prayer as we spend just a few moments in worship. And as you sing this song, let it come from the heart. 
Make this day a rededication or a dedication of your life to God to let him live out his life through you in the fullness of the way that he wants to. And I want you to just take a moment and I want you to just hold it in your hand. And I want you to remember today this little wafer, it represents the body of God that was broken in your behalf, beaten, bled. This juice, it represents the blood of Christ that was spilt on the cross for you. He gave you his all. Let's dedicate our all to him. Father, this morning as we hold these elements in our hand, we We're so aware that we are unworthy of the love and the sacrifice that you have given. But we're so grateful for it. Lord, your love changes our life. Your love (laughs) takes us from death to life. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that you can set our past behind us, no matter what that past may be, and how you can provide a new path to the future. And Lord, I pray for every single person that maybe for the first time in their life today is dedicating their life to you. They're tired of doing it their way. They're tired of always coming up empty. They're tired of pursuing so many things that this world offers and finding that none of it really satisfies. And today, Lord, we want you to be the Savior and Lord of our life. And Father, for many of us, I know for me as I was preparing this message, I began to think about little ways that we sell our soul. Little corners where we cut, little white lies we tell, little things that we do that are less than who you made us to be. And so today, oh God, we set those things aside. We want to live for the purposes for which you have called our life. And we want to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and holy before you. So, Father, lay your hands upon us. Fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this gift of grace. May we honor it in the way that we live. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said.